Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. How's everybody doing? Y'all doing good? It's a little quiet in here this morning. How's everybody doing today? Yeah. You excited? I knew I'd get a reaction out of the youth on the front with that, so that's the only reason I did that. Hey, um, good morning and welcome. Uh, my name is uh, Pastor Mark. I am the uh, student ministries pastor here at Connection Point Church, and it has uh, been a while since I have been in this service. Um, at the beginning of COVID, um, I started helping back out, out back in the kids area, and so I've um, been back there for a while, been um, ministering to the children and to the youth, and so that's all just a disclaimer. Um, I haven't spoken to adults for a while, so please bear with me today. If I'm talking to you like a kid or a youth, um, just just bear with me. Um, today, I am actually going to be talking about Jesus and children. So they, they put that right in my wheelhouse for me, which I'm excited about. And I know that um, some of you maybe right away, as soon as I say Jesus and children, there's probably some in the room that are a little like, well, you know, I don't really have kids or um, the kids are out of the house. Thank the Lord, you know, something like that. Um, and I just want to encourage you this morning, stay with me um, because I feel like God has something uh, for all of us this morning, whether you have children or not, maybe you're an adult child right now. It's okay. We still have something for you this morning. Morning. Um, let me just start out by asking, do I have anybody in the room that loves math this morning? Anybody that loves math? All right. More than I thought. Well, um, the first couple minutes this morning um, of the message is going to be for you. For you English, history, science people, I actually have nothing for you today. It's just merely for the math people. Um, I like math, so I'm going to share a couple of stats with you this morning uh, just to start out uh, this message. And um, The first one is this. Did you know that driving 55 miles per hour instead of 65 miles per hour can increase your car's mileage by roughly 15%. Some of you are going to be driving a lot slower to the restaurant after church today, I know. Um, did you know that every year, approximately 10 people are killed by vending machines? <laughs> True story. I don't know how that happens. I didn't look that up. It's just a stat. Um, did you know that an average of 100 people this year will choke on a ballpoint pen? It's true. Mm -hmm. um, did you know that in emergency rooms across the country, over 6,000 people check in each year with pillow-related incidents? It's a lot of pillow fights. It's a lot of pillow fights is what that is. And finally, over 50,000 people each year are injured by jewelry. 50,000 people. So those of you that have significant others, go for the flowers, not the jewelry. No, actually, I probably shouldn't, should just move on quickly before I get in trouble. Um, with that one. So, um, you know, those are some pretty crazy stats. And, and to be honest, I had a lot longer list, but I had to shorten it. Um, but to be honest with you this morning, um, there are a couple stats uh, that I wanted um, to share with you that actually scare me um, as a student ministry pastor. And, and they're actually a little bit more on the serious side. And so let me kind of read um, those to you this morning. Two studies that were conducted by uh, the Barna Group and by USA Today found that nearly 75% 
of Christian young people leave their faith after high school. 25% of young people say that God, Jesus, or faith in Jesus is irrelevant. And ultimately, another study goes on to say that 40 to 50% of young people fail to stick with their faith and connect with the church after high school. Now, those are some pretty um, in-your-face stats, and hopefully they got your attention. They're not as funny, I know, but um, those are stats that stick out to me. And after closer examination of those stats, studies have shown that one of the patterns that we see emerge is what some people call the challenge of the third generation. And this challenge is something that you see in family-owned businesses uh, across America. Um, and it, you see, the, in, in family-owned business, the first generation is marked by courage and entrepreneurial spirit and strength and prosperity. The second generation comes along and inherits something that they appreciate, but that they did not earn. So instead of growing what they inherit, they often try to protect what they inherited. The third generation comes along and all they saw was the preservation mode of that second generation. And so because of this, they often reject the values of those who have gone before, him, before them and all that work of the first generation is often lost by the third generation. And unfortunately, we see this trend um, happen as well in the church when it comes to passing along our faith to the next generation. You see the first generation of believers is marked by strength and a desire to follow God. The second generation appreciate it, but don't really fight for it. And the third rejects the preservation mode that they saw and goes on to something else. And no matter whose numbers you believe or what stats you follow, everyone who studies these things agrees on one thing, and that is this, that there is a significant amount of young people that are disconnecting with God particularly during the years that take place in the late teens and early 20, droves of people who have previously claimed to have a relationship with Jesus now want nothing to do with him. I know that's a lot of in-your-face information at the beginning of the, uh, of the message, but I want to share some hope this morning because I honestly believe that there's something with, that we can do to attempt to change some of these stats, and I want to spend the next couple of minutes just kind of talking to you and laying out some thoughts on that. So to start with, I want to go to Psalms uh, chapter uh, 112, verses 1 through 6. I think it's on the screen behind you. I'm going to go ahead and read that to you this morning. It says this, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will long be remembered. I want to focus in on verse 2 this morning because I, I feel like this is really important to what we're talking about. And verse 2 says this, their children will be successful everywhere. Now, as a parent of a four-year-old, that is a tremendous vision and goal. And hopefully someday we get there. Um, but more important than just as a parent, I believe as a church that we should have a vision for our children, not just mine, not just yours, all our children to be successful everywhere. And for that to be true, I think it's important to define what success is as followers of Christ and what success is not. At the beginning of 2020, I preached in youth a series of messages regarding the topic of kingdom culture. 
and in this series of messages, it was really important to me to make clear to the youth um, that there are really two things that are fighting against each other in our world today. Culture, or what the world has to say, and kingdom culture, or what God has to say, truth. And these two cultures are just constantly fighting against each other. And if you look at this verse and define success for our children by what culture says today, I think you should come up, you would come up with a definition that's similar to something like this. Culture today would say that success is raising well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. Well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. Now, hearing that from the outside, I think most people would be okay with that definition, but I think that letting culture define success for us can lead us down some really dangerous roads for our children. Let me just kind of unpack some of this, um, some of this uh, definition for you this morning. The problem that I have with well-rounded is when we expose them to everything, we are not allowing them to focus on the one thing. This is one of the reasons why I think teens especially jump around from one thing to the next and this continues on in adulthood because we haven't taken time to focus on the one thing, on what Jesus has given us. Think about it this way. When you're hiring someone to work for you on a team in IT, you are not looking for the most well-rounded person. No, you are looking for someone that has gifts in IT. Seeing a kid focus on specific gifts God has given them instead of being well-rounded can change a generation. The second part of that definition, well-educated, I know, now before you rush the, this stage and hurt me, like I think our kids should be educated, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I want my son to be educated. I don't think it's a bad goal in and of itself, but if our children score 35 on their ACT and yet have no integrity or character, they are not successful at what matters most. And that's my point with that. Happy. We just want our kids to be happy. We just want them to be happy. <laughs> the problem is God did not call us to be happy. He called us to be holy. Be holy as I am holy. Happiness can never be our end goal. Happiness, joy, and contentment are, by are byproducts of a life lived for the honor and glory of God. I want to propose... I want to propose that as adults, we can't be concerned today about our happiness for our children, but instead we have to focus on tomorrow's readiness. If we want to change some of the stats that I mentioned earlier, you know, we have to impart the joy that comes in glorifying God in all that they do. So this morning, if, if success for us is not consistent with what culture says, what are we going to call success? And here's how I define it as a follower of Christ this morning. I believe if you're a follower of Christ, we're called to unleash Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers. That with everything in us, we are called to unleash. I love this image of unleash because it, to me, it's this dog that's holding on to a chain that just can't wait to go out and impact the world. You know, we need to help prepare our children to glorify God in all that they do, to train them up in the way that they should go so that when they were old, they will not depart from it, to unleash Christ-centered. In other words, Jesus is not Lord in name only, but he is first planted deep within the hearts of our children. Some of you didn't catch that, so I'll say it again. Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers. And I know that that sounds great, right? That's a great definition, but I know there's some in the audience this morning um, that are like, man, it was just hard for me to find my keys this morning on the way to church in the chaos of my home, right? Preach, anybody? I think, okay, thank you, up there, awesome. 
I get it, I get it, I get it. I have a four-year-old, and it's just one, but it seems like 20. So um, I get it, I get it. Um, I wanna, I, I really, what I wanna do is just, I wanna take several minutes this morning to unpack for you today how um, we're gonna do this. And my goal is to make it so simple, and I, I really want you to hear me this morning. It's not just for parents in the room. It's for every single person in this room. This for this group right here. I've challenged this group to disciple my four and a half year old because they have gifts that they can impart to my four and a half year old. It's for every person in this room to empower the next generation. My goal is to make it so simple that every single one of you can use your gifts, whether you're a parent or not, whether you're 18 or 88, you are inspired to raise Christ-centered, biblically anchored world changers. I think one of the first keys um, to being able to do this is actually starting with some, a very simple thought, managing what we expose our children to. Now, I know this may sound counterculture, but, I, think, but I, I want you to think about this for a second. What we expose our children to determines what they become. If you love basketball and expose them to basketball, chances are pretty good they're gonna like basketball more than they like science. Sorry, Phil. Um, <laughs> Science teacher, science teacher over here. So you see what you expose them to determines what they become. Here's what we need to acknowledge. They are naturally going to be exposed to a lot of bad things going through life, bad attitudes, over-sexualized society, materialism, prejudices, bullying and such. And so as parents, we can't just say, you're going to love Jesus. You're going to be biblically anchored in Jesus. We can't force them to love Jesus, but here's what we can do. We can expose them to experiences that increase the likelihood of them falling in love with God and growing spiritually. We need to to manage their exposure so that with the help of God, we can raise Christ-centered, biblically anchored world changers, and that will be success to us. So let me give you three things this morning that we are going to expose our children to. Number one, expose the next generation to the joy of knowing God personally. To the joy of knowing God personally. In fact, this is what Jesus said in John 17, verse three. And this is eternal life, to know my Father, um, and this is eternal life, to know my Father who sent me. That is it, to know God. Now, this sounds really easy, but for some reason we have really missed the boat when it comes to this. The problem is sometimes I think in Christian homes, rather than exposing them to a relationship with God, we expose them to rules, and rules, and rules, and rules, and rules. Now, don't get me wrong, Uh, we have rules for Samuel. Um, We have lots of rules for Samuel. Some he understands, some he does not at this point in his life. But hear me on this, there's nothing wrong with rules, but rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. I'm convinced that the next generation is not rejecting Christ as much as they're rejecting legalism and hypocrisy. We must expose them to the joy of an intimate relationship with Jesus. Practically, this has to begin at home with showing them an example of what it means to know God personally. And this comes, in my opinion, through both acknowledging the good things that God has given us and having conversations with God. You know, I once heard a piece of advice from someone and they said this, anytime there's something good, give credit, give the credit for it to God in front of your children. Give the credit to God in front of your children. 
It sounds, something, it sounds simple, but when something good happens in your life, give the credit to God. Because this points back to God and not to ourselves. We didn't make those things happen, God did. Look how the Lord has blessed us today at Christmas with all these gifts. Look how God, look what God has done in our lives. Giving the credit to God, pointing to him. We also need to have conversations with, uh, about God with our kids. You cannot have a relationship without conversation. In our home, we have a goal of helping Samuel experience, through the power, uh, experience God through the power of prayer and knowing God through his word. Prayer. Let me just say this real quick. There is no set time for the most part in our family um, when it comes to having prayer times. I don't have family prayer meetings from seven to nine every, every evening. I don't do that. Um, even, and, and I want to say this. Even though we don't have set prayer times um, that often, we do pray constantly and often. Um, we pray for injuries in my family. Um, the blood gushers that could fill up a bucket and the things that you can't even see that are painful and you know what I'm talking about if you have a four-year-old. We pray for those things, right? Um, we pray when we're scared in the dark because we need to pray for that. We pray for our food. We pray for Gigi and Mimi and Papa and Papa and Grandpa and, Gra and all the grandparent names, right? Um, we pray for those things. Why? Because at four and a half years old, prayer is getting into him. He may not understand absolutely everything. Right now, the other day, he prayed for Gigi. Uh, uh, he prayed for our meal, and then he prayed for Gigi's food and Mimi's food and Papa's food. And I don't even think they were eating, but he was praying <laughs> for their food, right? And, and, and that's really the point of what I'm trying to say. I know that prayer can sound so intimidating, but it's not. And if you struggle for that, let me encourage you. We have a Veggie Tales book that we read him every night, a devotional book. It is for level, like age 12 and 13, so he can't really comprehend everything. But at the end of it, there's a prayer. And he repeats that prayer after us every single night. Does he know what he's saying? No, he doesn't really comprehend it. But I can tell you that in his mind, in his little mind, one of the worst things that can happen in the world is for him to go to bed without mommy and daddy praying with him because the Holy Spirit is in him because we're exposing him to prayer. We're exposing him also to God's word. Once again in my family, we don't have any set time of reading God's word, but we try to set an example and expose him to God's word. You know, Samuel sees me reading in the sunroom in the morning with my cup of coffee because that's important, and he goes and he grabs his Bible. And once again, it's a 12-year-old Bible, so he can't really read any words, but he can see pictures and he flips through it. And you know what? It's having an impact on him. I want my children to see the joy of knowing God personally. My prayer is someday that they say about me, yeah, mom and dad, they're not perfect, but they talk to God. They experience God. God corrects them. God convicts them. God comforts them. God guides them. God empowers them. God leads them. They have something that I want. That's my prayer. Number two, we want to expose them to the presence and power of God in his church. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says this. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
Recently, I heard a story about a man who moved into the country and he bought a piece of land and he went to the local feed and livestock store and talked to the owner about how he was gonna take up chicken farming. Now, I know there's some chicken farmers in the room, so hopefully you, yeah, right here, I knew it. Um, he then asked um, this uh, owner of the store to buy 100 chickens. That's a lot of chickens, the owner commented. I mean business, the city, so, city slicker replied. A week later, the city slicker came back again and said, I need another 100 chickens. He said, man, you are really serious about this whole thing. The guy replied, yeah, if I can iron out a few problems and kinks. What problems do you have, the man asked. Well, I think I planted that last blunt bunch too close together. <laughs> Some of you will get that in a few minutes, it's okay. Um, uh, just like this city slicker got it all wrong and confused raising chickens with growing a crop, now you get it, okay? You and I, I think, can get mixed up when we confuse our primary task with our preferences. You see, our primary task is to raise disciples that raise disciples that raise disciples that raise disciples. Your kids, um, and here's the bottom line, for most of you, there are things in our lives that are really non-negotiable. For example, our kids going to school, it's a non-negotiable. Work, pretty much a non-negotiable. In my home recently, swim lessons and ninja class, they were non-negotiable because we paid for those things and you are gonna be Michael Phelps and on American Ninja Warrior. Um, <laughs> not, not really, I'm, I'm kidding. I don't want you to think I'm that type of person, but you understand what I'm trying to say, non-negotiables, right? Um, and, yet, and yet for so many of us, I think on the weekend, sometimes we ask the question, do you want to go to church this weekend? And that's like the one non-negotiable or the one negotiable thing that comes up again and again and again. And the bottom line is this, and I don't want to make anybody um, feel bad or guilty or anything like that, but if we only trump church for other things, like it's a beautiful day or it's raining or we were up, we were up late for a game or we got a tournament or a recital or we're kind of tired, if we only trump church for other things and you never ever trump anything else for the worship of God, we are sending a very clear message to our children about what our priorities are. I want to expose them to the presence and power of God in his church that they long to be in his presence with other people. As a church, we cannot simply be a church or call ourselves a church if we are not engaging and discipling our young people. And let me just say quickly, I believe in a partnership between the home and the church is the best way to see Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers. I've heard the analogy before of two gardens. We as adults all have two gardens that God has given us to tend to. One is a primary garden, the family, and the other is the secondary garden, the church. Now, church is not a substitute for the role the family plays in discipling our children, but it is a co-teacher in the task of spiritual growth and education. Church and family must work in concert like two violinists playing a duet. The family starts the primary melody and the church joins in with a supportive harmony. For some in the room, I believe you know that over this past year we have actually made a change in our children's areas and with regards to curriculum that we are using. One of the major reasons that we did that is honestly um, so that we could have a better partnership with family and church. There's a tool that's a part of this curriculum, and, and I, I want to encourage everyone in this room to use it, whether you have kids or not. It's called the Parent Q app. 
Yes, it's an app. Yes, it's something that you download on your phone. But I want you to, I want you to hear s- some of the things that you can do with this. When you download this app, you can immediately put Connection Point Church's info in and your child's info. You'll then be able to see the lesson that they did on Sunday morning along with the memory verse and ideas and ways to talk to them about that lesson throughout the whole week. For the older kids, there's actually a devotion on there as well, a weekly devotion that they can do daily. For my family, honestly, it's been huge to be able to pull up Ollie. For some of you have no clue who that is. It's an owl. He tells the Bible story, okay? Um, It's a video. And my four-year-old watches Ollie every single week or almost every single week. And by the end of the week, he has that Bible story down. You see, every single adult can play a part. And I want to say this. If you don't have kids in the room, if you're a grandparent, download it. Get it on your phone. Why? Because when you do have the grandkids, guess what? It's a great thing to give them. If, you have, if, you, if you're single, hey, do you have nieces and nephews or friends of kids? Man, we all play a part in discipling our kids. We have to play a part in discipling our kids. God provides two primary gardens for spiritual growth, the family and the church. These two are important and vital to the growth of our souls. Their children will be successful everywhere. When we expose our children to the presence and power of God in the church, there's something rich about experiencing God together, sensing his presence, and talking about it with our kids throughout the week. And this, I believe, honestly, with all my heart, must be a priority in our lives. Finally, expose them to the thrill of being used by God. Expose them to the thrill of being used by God. Most of you are probably familiar with the story of the feeding of the 5,000, but for those of you that aren't, let me refresh your memory. Um, Jesus was preaching and a large crowd had gathered and seeing the crowd, Jesus wanted to feed them. And so he asked his disciples to buy some food and they responded with, we don't have enough money. And this is where we pick up the story in John chapter six. Verse eight, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given things, he distributed them to those who were seated. So, all the, so also the fish as much as they wanted. So here's the thing about this story. I think when you hear this story, obviously the biggest miracle is that everybody ate and were satisfied. And it is an important part of the story. It's, a, it's one of the best miracles, in my opinion, in the Bible. Um, but I want to draw your attention to one of the unknown, unsung heroes in the story this morning, the boy. Have you ever thought about that? Paul, Paul Tripp put it, puts it this way. No one in the crowd would have thought that this boy mattered. No one would have imagined that what he was carrying in his little basket would not only be the provision of the moment, but the basis of one of the most significant sermons Jesus ever preached. This was one little boy in the crowd with a little bit of seafood and bread, but he had been chosen by God to be a significant piece of the Messiah's redemptive plan, not only for that day, but for the rest of human history. No one knew that after this moment, every man, woman, and child who trusted in Jesus and read the Bible would know this boy, know exactly what was in his basket that day, and know how Jesus used him to make the point of points about his identity. Think about that for a second. This story, I'm sure, was told throughout that area, the whole, the life of this boy into adulthood. 
Can you just imagine for a second the thrill that went through him as somebody was telling that story and he's 40 years old and he says, I was the boy. I was the boy. I was the boy. What, what, what a thrill he had to be used by God in that moment. You see, we want to expose our children to the thrill of being used by God. Because here's the thing, they are gonna be exposed to all other types of thrills in this world. They're gonna be exposed to the thrill of making an A, of going to that first prom, of scoring a goal, making that three-point game-winning shot or missing it, um, playing the flute, right? Playing that musical instrument. But I want to also expose them to the eternal thrill of God using them to make a difference in somebody else's life. We have students right now that are being used on Sunday mornings in church and making a huge difference. You see, I want them to see that they can use their gifts for something outside of themselves and recognize that God just used me. I just made a difference. God gave me the words to say. I helped somebody. I was able to pray with someone who was in need. I was able to lead someone to Christ. There is no thrill greater than God using me to make a difference in someone else's life. They don't even have to do something that big, but it resonates with them. So my encouragement to you this morning is when you see a child doing something for the kingdom of God, doing something for someone else, go to them, encourage them. Do you realize that God just used you to make a difference? When you listen to that person, did you realize that God just used you to make a difference in their lives? I can tell you, my son, there's sometimes he says things to me and I'm like, oh man, he makes a difference in my life as a four and a half year old. We expose them to the thrill of being used by God. And suddenly, here's what will happen. Something is born within them that says, I want to know the same God that I've seen transform my parents. And I want to represent this God that I experience every week in church. You see, I don't just go to church. I am the church. And I'm here to meet the needs of the world because God has used me to make a difference in someone else's life. And you can't talk me out of using my gifts for a higher calling. Would everyone in the room stand with me today? So my challenge today is rather than settling for being just well-rounded, well-educated, and happy, my prayer is that we see a generation emerge that is Christ-centered, biblically anchored, and has a passion to see the world changed. And it's gonna take every single one of us, not just parents, but every single person in this room because our church cares about them and they, our children, will be successful because they are not the church of the future, they are the church of today. As I close today, my challenge is for all of us in the room to take on this responsibility of really seeing the next generation not fade away, but be Christ-centered, biblically anchored, and passionate about changing the world. In order to do that, we all, all have to be able to make the commitment to exposing our children to the joy of knowing God personally, to the presence and power of his church, and to the thrill of being used by God. Those of you who would say with me this morning that, you know what, I accept that challenge. I wanna be an adult or I wanna be a person in this room that is gonna do that honestly. And I'm not gonna ask you to bow your heads. I'm gonna ask you to keep your heads up, keep your eyes open. I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. Would you join with me in that challenge? Amen, thank you. I'm gonna go ahead and pray and then the worship team is gonna lead us. God.